Stand Firm Ministries, Biblical Truth, taught by Dr. Shane Perez. War can be very confusing. Hopefully most of us have never been in a war, but I know most of us have watched more war movies. And there will be scenes in there where, uh, I know for me, because I'm a little... Um, the lights, a little overwhelmed by the lights or so forth. Like sometimes I even have to shut my eyes because there's too much going on. There's too much flashing. And you see the guys standing there and there's just smoke everywhere and bullets are everywhere and loud noises everywhere. And you probably think to yourself, how do they even know what to do? What is going on? It just seems so confusing. Well, there's a term that we use. It's called the fog of war where that happens quite often in war. And in some cases, there's a... Whenever there's been cases of like friendly fire or so forth like that, it's because of the confusion of the fog of war. And it's easy to get confused and distracted. But I'm here to tell you today that there is no doubt that we are in a spiritual war. Uh, the last few weeks I've been showing you things you need to understand. You are right in the middle of a spiritual war. And you're not in a, like with America... At least when I've been growing up, we've been at war a lot. But it's always been distant. Like you might not even know we were at war if, it, uh, if you didn't watch TV. But we are not like spectators in a distant land while the war is going on somewhere else. We are right smack dab in the middle of warfare. And it's easy for us to get confused and distracted and not be clear on really what we should be doing or what we should be doing next. And I believe that we're in the midst of a spiritual fog of war. There's a lot of distractions. There is a lot going on, and most of us, I feel like we're just overwhelmed. And if you're not, then you should uh, come to church here more often, and I'll show you articles that will, <laughs> that will help overwhelm you, and actually we'll start there now. We're in a spiritual war. And there is a lot of crazy stuff going on. I don't know if you watched the news this week, but everybody's talking. We're on the edge of nuclear war. It's all over Ukraine, and you can read all their articles, find all the details. But on every news station and on every probably news website that you go to, it talk, talking about nuclear war. We're worried about that Russia is going to use nuclear wars. And then we're thinking about using nuclear weapons before they do. And the, the president of Ukraine is, wants us to do that, wants us to do a preemptive strike. And all this crazy stuff is, is happening now uh, with us in, like, Russia. So a lot of uh, intense things are going on between America and Russia. But did you, did you if you have a good Russian, you could have listened to... Uh, their president's speech this week. Did anybody see a transcript or anything? It's very interesting. He did a speech the other day and really blasted the West. But a couple of things he said was very interesting. Uh, Putin proclaims Ukrainian annexation calls West satanic. And this is sort of a translation of some of the things he said. They're crazy. I want to speak to all Russian citizens. Do you want to replace mom and dad with parent one and parent two? He was talking about a trans movement, but he was referring to how we've lost our traditional <coughs> values. They've invented genders and claims you can transition. Do you want this for our children? 
And then he says, such a total denial of a human being, a rejection of faith and traditional values, suppression of freedom begins to look like a perverted religion, outright Satanism. <laughs> he may have a point, yes, after all the articles we've been looking at. But isn't that crazy? Of all people to call us names, but even the names... I don't think Vladimir Putin is known for his uh, devotion to religion. Yet he sees what's going on in our country and he even identifies it as, as Satanism. So a lot of crazy things going on in the world from other countries or so forth. But also, as you are well aware of, we have a lot of crazy things going on in our own country as well. We see the government is working on taking our freedoms away. But it's only specific people that they're taking the freedoms away. And we saw this before, like during the riots. They wanted people to have the freedom. Oh, you can, you can have the freedom to go riot if you stand for a, a certain political view. And they'll, we'll call the cops back and we'll give you the whole city and you can burn it down and very, there'll be very few arrests or anything. But then when people wanted to protest, a peaceful protest somewhere else, if it wasn't the right political ideology, then they just go shut them down and arrest them. Here's an example of how the FBI is really getting pretty extreme and coming after, um, let's say, religious citizens or citizens that are taking a religious stance. So that's Mark Houck. Now, he's a religious man. Not everyone is a religious person. Not everyone agrees with Mark Houck. But there's no doubt that Mark Houck is a peaceful, is a nonviolent person. In October of last year, Houck was standing outside another abortion clinic in Pennsylvania. He was joined again by his 12-year-old son. That's when a man approached and began harassing the boy. So to defend his son, Houck pushed the extremist back. That was it. Local police looked into it. The district attorney's office looked into it. Nobody pressed charges against Mark Houck because it's not assault to protect your son from an extremist who's attacking him. But the Biden Justice Department decided to revise this view and they charged Mark Houck with a federal crime, a felony, obstructing abortion access. There was no evidence that he had obstructed abortion access, but that's what they charged him with. Now, Houck learned about three months ago, the DOJ planned to charge him, and he offered to turn himself in voluntarily. That's what a civilized country allows. But that wasn't good enough for Merrick Garland's DOJ. They wanted to punish him and terrify his family, to send the right message to anyone who would dare get in the way of the Biden agenda. So the DOJ sent a team of federal agents with rifles to Houck's home. He now faces 11 years in prison for protecting his son. Now, again, it's hard to believe that any of that actually happened, but it actually did. And that is what's happening in our country. And even before uh, we cut off some of the videos that wouldn't last too long, but even before that, uh, this individual, um, Mark Howell, the guy they're talking about, was, uh, he was talking about that incident he had in front of an abortion clinic where he was praying for people. And then a lady come out and they tried to pray with her or for her and she didn't want them to so they just went over to the side and started praying and she just come over there and just started yelling profanities and stuff at them and they didn't do anything about it he didn't get up he didn't yell back at her he didn't fuss at her he didn't push her he didn't do anything he just continued to pray him and his 12 year old son and then he looked over to his son and says this is what we should be expecting 
they persecuted Jesus, they will also persecute us. But the point is, things are getting crazy. We're in a spiritual war, whether it's a fear of nuclear war and other countries that really don't have a, a strong religious tradition or calling us Satanists to our own government is going after us, to even the society. Our society values are being attacked. This is very interesting. A Michigan Health accused of wrongfully hiring female PA for refusing to perform trans procedures. Let me read it to you. First Liberty Senior Counsel Jordan Pratt said in a statement released Tuesday that he believed that it was bad medicine to force religious health care professionals to choose between their faith and their job. Valerie provides excellent medical care for every patient, but she cannot, in good conscience, refer patients for experimental drugs and procedures that violate both her religious convictions and her medical judgment. We sort of saw this when they were, uh, when the vaccines were going out. People were losing their job, nurses and doctors or so forth, if they didn't agree with the vaccine. And now it's moving over to the, to the trans surgery. If you're not willing to do that and go along with it, then they're firing you from your job. We're seeing a persecution in our own country of people that are holding Christian values. Make sure you understand that. And you know that. We see, we watch news clips and you see it uh, in the media all the time. And this is all just a part of the fog of war. There's a lot going on. And then the worst thing, worst thing is not only is really Christians in the church being attacked from without, but even from within as well. There's a headline where the main person I wanted to highlight was Beth Moore. She's going to speak at a, this identifies it as a gay affirming Baptist university. You know what Baptist university that is? The biggest Baptist university in the world which is actually sponsored by the Southern Baptist Convention, Baylor University. Baylor University, and I put this up here because Beth Moore, she was known as uh, maybe many of you women in here have been to a Beth Moore Bible study. Like she has quite the reputation of having some awesome Bible studies. She's, she will write curriculum and do videos, and she's very passionate. She's very intense. But now she's going around talking about the racism in the white church. And then of all places, she'll go to a uh, Baylor University, which is a gay-affirming Baptist university. This is how crazy our world is getting. This is what we're experiencing as a Christian. Now, we live in it every day, and we'll see a news article there, and we'll see a news article there. But then when you put all these things together, you really do get an idea this is crazy. This is nonsense. This doesn't, it's not even logical. There's no reason here. Uh, but this is the environment that we're living in. So when I tell you we're in the midst of a spiritual fog of war, that's what I'm talking about. We have all these things going on, but now the question is, what do you do? I didn't find you a, a video clip, but I was looking in what an example of what a fog of war would be or a situation where a soldier was, was being shot from all sides and he was all confused or, or th so forth like that. But there's uh, a lot of them maybe not very appropriate or so forth. But one of them that I did see, it showed this guy where he just 
uh, grabbed his gun, and he just hid behind a tree. Didn't know what to do. Bullets were flying everywhere. There's smoke everywhere. His leader had just got shot. He didn't know what to do. He was overwhelmed. He was confused. He was scared. He was fearful. I feel like that describes us today. I feel like that's where we're at. So he stood behind the tree and he just didn't do anything. And I feel like a lot of Christians, what we're doing, we're just holding on. Holding on for the ride. What's going to be next? What's going to be next? Well, you know there's a way to overcome the fog of war. You know how to do that? Is you've got to be narrowly focused. You've got to know what the mission is. You've got to make it very simple and you just keep doing it. For example, this soldier that was sort of overwhelmed, he needed to know people shooting from that direction is the enemy. We need to take them out. doesn't matter what else was going on. doesn't matter who gets shot beside you. It doesn't matter what kind of bombs go off or what kind of smoke there is. The bullets that are coming from that direction, stay focused, take them out. So as a Christian, as we're in a spiritual warfare, we need to have our focus on something. But I dare say it's not the enemy that we need to be focused on. What should we be focused on? Well, we went through a lot of the Old Testament, and pretty soon we'll be picking back up uh, in Ezekiel. But what was the message when I was thinking about this this week, and after even last week, and we're going through all these things, of all the craziness that's going on in the world, what do you tell the people? What is the, the simple message that I need to understand, and what's the simple message that we as believers need to understand, and what do we need to be focused on? Because it's crazy out there. So I was thinking, and even this week, as, as uh, in our schools, we were studying a little bit of the book of Amos. What was the message of the Old Testament prophets? Do you remember what their message was? It was repent. You're doing evil, repent of your ways. Turn back to God. And one thing about the Old Testament prophets that we really don't focus on a lot, you know almost all of them always gave a glimpse of hope to the people. In most cases, it wasn't that, hey, repent, turn back to God, and then your life is going to be good. But in many cases, in most cases, it was uh, repent, turn back to God, and the future of your country is going to be good. You're not going to do so well. <laughs> you're going to be enslaved and you're going to suffer the punishment. But the future of your country and the future of your eternity is good. And then we get over to the New Testament and see what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Because Jesus said a lot of things and you can, you can take a lot of what Jesus said and, and try to apply it all. But it's very interesting when he first starts, what is his main message? Matthew chapter 4, if you're using our Blue P Bible, it says uh, the title of it is Jesus began to preach. This is the first time he began to preach. What would he say? Well, first of all, before he gets to what he said, we actually find out where he was. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. What did the prophet Isaiah say? 
Verse 15, land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Before I get to Jesus' main message, I want to pause there for just a moment. I want you to understand, Isaiah prophesied in the Old Testament, and Jesus was sort of reaffirming here, Jesus was sent to a dark place. I love how it's described as the people living in darkness. We are living in a time where people are living in darkness. But a light has dawned and this is all referring to Jesus Jesus was sent to this place to be a light it was dark Jesus is bringing the light and he starts his preaching and this is in verse 17 this is very important you need to understand this from the time on Jesus began to preach eight words is going to summarize what he preached repent for the kingdom of heaven is near Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now this is a very good message. And you're probably sitting there today, yes, this is a message that I need to go tell other people. They need to repent. But this is the message we do need to tell other people. Whether it's Old Testament prophet or Jesus, the message is very similar, if not the same. Repentance is necessary. Turn from our sinful ways Get right with God. And then there can be hope and a bright future for us. Now a lot of times when you tell people to repent, in most cases, at least in my experience, you never, you never have to tell anybody, you don't have to give them a list of their sins. You know that? Most people, they don't even have to be religious in nature. But if you just sit down with them and talk to them, and just say, hey, you need to repent of your bad ways. You know, 90% of the time, God will they know the bad things that they do, and God will bring them into their mind, yes, you're right. You don't have to give me a list. I don't have to say, okay, yeah, I do that, I do that, I do that. They know what sin they need to repent of. And then they must take the step, not just only of repenting and turning from their sin, but they have to get right with God. Who knows whether you're right with God or not? You do. The individual does. I have no idea if you're right with God. You have no idea if I'm right with God. We can all look good on the outside. And we can all do the things. A lot of us think that it's just the things that we do. Oh, I went to church today. I read my Bible today. So yes, I'm right with God. But you know on the inside on whether you're right with God or not. When I worked at the rehab facility and I would come across some of the guys that had left the facility and we haven't seen them in a while and I'd run across them, one of my first questions is, how is your relationship with God? And you could always tell how they were doing by how they answered. You know, some of them just completely honest and just say, not good at all. But then there will be some that would try to justify well, I've been going to church most of the time. I've been trying to read my Bible a little bit each week. 
Well, when they give you that answer, what do you know? They're not doing that good. But when they tell you, my God is doing great things in my life. I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. But just God keeps moving and He keeps growing me and He keeps convicting me and keeps guiding me. Then you know they're good with God. Another thing you need is the hope of the future. I show you these news articles and I've told you this many times. Like, I'm sorry if I stress you out. <laughs> but our hope is not in this world. You know, I think we was singing about it a little bit today. This world is going to be gone. You're going to die and this world is going to be burned up. Those are the facts. You're not going to live forever. We're not going to be here together. And in fact, if you read Revelation, things are going to get really bad towards the end. Those are facts that we know. So we're a little, uh, it's a little silly of us to, to be stressed out and think that, well, everything needs to be right in the world today for me to be at peace. No, the way you get at peace with yourself and, and things that are going on in your life, if you get at peace with what the future holds. If, you're right, if you've repented of your sins, if you're right with God, God's got a bright future for you. There's hope in that. And one thing you see in the world today is a lack of hope. And we are the people. The reason why Jesus was the light and in the darkness wasn't necessarily that he wanted to yell at everybody to repent and tell them about all their sinful ways. It was because he eventually, repent, work in your relationship, he provides the hope for their heart and for their soul. Now, I'll tell you all this because that was a message that Jesus preached, and this is a message that we need to preach. But also, what we need to do is we need to be constantly applying it to our own lives. The reason why we're remodeling the church is because um, building eventually is deteriorating. Cracks in the ceiling and wiring's getting old and, and different things like that. And you know, I was talking <laughs> Gary this morning, I was telling him, I've got some aches and pains, I'm getting old. You know, as you get older, you start feeling a little bit more. You're deteriorating, that's what's happening, unfortunately. But things will deteriorate. Your spiritual walk with God will deteriorate. And what happens is so many of us, we get saved when we're very young or we get saved and then we're living um, a joyous life for a little bit. And we're close to God and we're at peace and maybe even God's using us to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. And then we sort of get burned out a little bit. And we start out, maybe we were reading the Bible every day and going to church all the time and then we sort of get out of it a little bit. And over time, it can be just a routine. Or it can be just a thing that we say or tell people what we believe, but the close personal relationship is no longer there. And one thing about sin, we all started, and you start your relationship with God by repenting of your sin and then turning to God. But just like anything you clean out, guess what eventually happens? It starts to get dirty again. Even if you try to keep it clean, then there'll be little dust falling and more dust. Then sometimes maybe something big will be spilled there or something. But the sin will come back. 
Because the reason why, we're still human. One thing weird about Christians is that we feel like, well, if we're in a group of room where everybody's Christians, there shouldn't be any sin. We're still sinners. And think about it, there's so many people that leave the church and they leave the faith because they get offended by somebody else. Well, they just they did something bad to me. They lied to me. They gossiped about me. Yes, because we're people. We're sinners. Sin will happen with us all. And if that's the case, what we need to do is we need to constantly be repenting of the sin. Repentance isn't something you do once in your life and then you're set. You need to examine your life, see where there's some sin at, and then start cleaning it up. Someone's like when you go to the doctor for a health checkup or something. They'll identify some areas in your life you need to work on. Hey, doc, I'm experiencing pain in this area. Okay, well, maybe you need to uh, stop doing this specific thing or start doing a new exercise. Or, or they will give you a remedy, but you will have to fix it. Think about Christians, we don't, I don't think we do a good job of getting the sin out all the time. This is a message we give to others, but do we apply it to ourselves? I think in this era, time of where we're in spiritual warfare and there's fog everywhere, you have all this stuff going on, we need to be careful not to get confused, not to be distracted, and not to be scared and fearful and do nothing, but let's focus on what we need to focus on. And that is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Get the sin out of your life. You cannot have a good relationship with God when there's sin in your life. I don't have to tell you what your sins are. You don't have to tell me what my sins are. God does that for us. But knowing what they are is just the first step. Now we've got to get them out. Repent of your sins. And work on your relationship with God. During these trying times, this is the most important thing that you can be doing is working on your relationship with God. I didn't say going to church more. I didn't say reading the Bible more. I said work on your relationship with God. Now, I promise you, as you're working on your relationship with more, you're going to be needing to read the Bible more and to pray more and probably you have a desire to go to church more to learn more about God. But your personal relationship with God is between you and God. We always think that, at least I do, maybe I'm speaking for myself, I almost feel like, well, God only knows this part that I tell it. <laughs> That's not true. One thing, once you cross that line and understand that God knows everything, when you're in your prayer closet and it's just you and God talking, it's amazing some of the stuff that may come out of your mouth. It's been in your heart, it's been in your mind, but to verbally bring it out of your mouth, it's, it's amazing. It's not fun. It's not joyful. But it is cleansing. It is cleansing and you feel better afterwards because you recognize it and now God's able to help you and take care of it. Get the sin out. How do you get the sin out? Well, I've got this and I've got that and it controls me. Jesus is the answer to that. You need to cling to Jesus Christ as much as you can. Completely and wholeheartedly. Does that mean it's going to happen overnight or happen instantly? No, it does not. You may struggle with it your whole life, but you need to cling to Jesus Christ. That is the only answer. That is the only solution. 
Get the sin out. Work on your relationship with God. And keep your eye on the future. We've got a bright future. Not in the, uh, the first part of the book of Revelations. And halfway probably through the middle. But near the end of Revelation, we see what the future is even going to be for our, for our country or for our world. God's going to destroy the bad and is going to make everything new. When you leave here, when you leave this world, God has something so much better for you in the next world. And if you don't focus on that and keep your eye on that, it's easy to get discouraged in this world and get discouraged about a lot of things you may see in the news or something like that. You don't have to be discouraged. You got the, the Lord of Lords on your side, and He's going to take care of everything. So it doesn't matter what news article you read or, or even what happens tomorrow. You should be a person full of hope because they can't take anything away from you. If they take your life in this earth, God's got you a better life in heaven. Don't you get shy on me, lift up your soul Cause you've got a light inside of those lungs Get up and praise the Lord Oh, come on my soul Oh, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song Cause you've got a light inside of This lesson encourages you and equips you to minister to others with your walk as a Christian. We would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at Ministries at yahoo.com. 